and I just invite Scott to come and do that. That would be great. Morning, church. If I could ask the stewards to come up and start handing out the communion, it would be good. We all know the story of the Last Supper. It's Jesus' last meal with his disciples. It's just before he's about to be betrayed and sent to the cross. I'm just going to, just to refresh us, I'm just going to read some of his last words. He says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Today, I just want to focus on one aspect of the words of Jesus when he says, Do this in remembrance of me. Because most often we focus on the significance of the this, the do this the actual bread and the wine or the cracker and the juice and what significance those mean to our lives, for our past, our present, our future, our community as, as God's children. Or we focus on the remembrance, the actual death and resurrection of Jesus, his actual sacrifice on the cross and what that means for our lives. But today I want to focus on the me, not me, but Jesus' words, do this in remembrance of me. Because when we join together in communion, we do it at the invitation of Jesus himself. Not because the church institution or some religious body has said this was good or that someone at Port City thought, this is a good idea, let's just do this once a month. But this is Jesus himself calling you to this very meeting. The master has summoned his people to join together in this way to share communion. He is the inventor and creator of communion and the one who calls us to its regular attendance. I hope you're kind of grabbing the wowness of this. This is an invitation from Jesus himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the Good Master, the High Priest, the Holy One of God, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, Emmanuel, the King, the Lord, the Majesty, the Morning Star, the Word, the Messiah, the Christ, the atoning sacrifice for sins, not just ours, but the whole world. This is the Son of the Living God, and he's inviting you to partake this morning. Do I get a bit of a wow? Yeah. Come on. So communion, this, this ordinance has been practiced since the early church, since the time of Jesus, obviously, and then the apostles. Paul even repeats the words of Jesus twice to the church in Corinth. He says, For I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Christ is the one who instituted this practice. We were taking the Lord's Supper. We do it as an act of obedience to him. We proclaim his death and his resurrection and our ongoing obedience. At the time of baptism is when we confess our faith in front of everyone. Communion is that ongoing obedience, our ongoing declaration. It affirms our loyalty to our commanding officer. It is an act of commitment to Christ. 
And the Holy Spirit, present here right now, reminds us of our new life in Christ as followers of Jesus in a new covenant with God and with each other. We join together as the family of God in Christ. Participation in communion is a reaffirmation of our personal loyalty to Jesus. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will strengthen you for Christian service, living in Christ as you follow him daily. And today you may realise just who it is that is inviting you to this very meeting. Jesus is presently inviting you to join together with us, the people of God, in the Lord's Supper, in communion. He says, do this in remembrance of me. So let me just pray before we, we partake. Lord God, I just pray that you would just remember, uh, remind us of how wonderful Jesus is for his sacrifice, his death and resurrection on the cross, for our new life that we have in Jesus as a family of Christ. And we thank you that you are our king and we're here being obedient to your will, doing this in remembrance of you. Let's just pray that you just remind us of who you are, Jesus. Let's just take this morning. Just to take the time to contemplate the reality of Jesus and all that he has done in us, but for us as well. We thank you. Thank you, Father, for that. you guys thanks to hell brilliant great how you uh, you know the end of the year is looming isn't it November is here December will be soon before we know it December will be forgotten we'll be into January February and we're moving on you know, you, you know I realize you've got to grab every moment because time moves on quickly so this morning, don't be thinking about lunch, just be thinking about right now. <laughs> don't think about what it's after, just think about grab the moment now and saying, God, what's to be said this morning? What do you want to share with me? You know, I've, I've realised you come expectant, you receive, but if you don't, you sometimes don't receive. Just come expectant. 
I want to turn um, in a passage of Scripture, Mark chapter 5 today. Please grab your Bible and open it up or your electronic device, whatever. I will put it up on the screen. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 to 34. This is the encounter Jesus had with a woman who had a 12-year physical ailment of hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years. And we'll just start at verse 25, Mark 5. It says, Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. That means she didn't suffer because of the physicians, what they'd done to her. It's just that it didn't get any better. She had spent all that she had and, had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. You notice what she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing something in his body had changed too, doesn't say that, but knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So he, she shared her story. In other words, and then verse 34, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Mark um, wrote this. It's Mark's, what we call, it's one of those books of the New Testament. And uh, there's these first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels, but they're books that these guys wrote. Mark writes this one. He's the second in the order of the New Testament books. So we see um, um, what Mark writes in 10 verses. Matthew also writes about, but writes in only four verses. And Luke was a little bit better than Matthew, who wrote in six verses. So all three of these writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, wrote about this story. Obviously, Mark wanted to write more detail about it. He put it in 10 verses. And it's interesting... Uh, because Mark's 10 verses, I believe Mark could relate to this woman. This woman who had this problem for 12 years. Sometimes we face things for many years, don't we? We think, when is the end ever coming? Well, Mark could relate to this woman, and he particularly could relate to this woman because she got another chance. Many doctors have tried to bring health and wholeness to her, but she hadn't yet been to Dr. Jesus, and thankfully she had an opportunity, and she had another chance. And Mark was one of those guys who knew about having second chances or having another chance, because if you don't know Mark's, who wrote this, these words, if you don't know his history, it simply goes like this in a 30-second time slot. I'll give it to you. Mark was a Jewish man, lived in Jerusalem. His mother was Mary. There was a lot of Marys in the Bible. Mark's mother was one of them. Mark, Mark's mother, Mary, actually had a house in Jerusalem. A lot of the apostles used to come and dwell there when they were in Jerusalem. And so Mark's house, he grew up seeing disciples and apostles come and go. And so Mark eventually joined Barnabas and Paul on a missionary trip to go and share about Jesus out into Turkey or Asian Minor somewhere. And halfway through the trip, Mark decides it's a little bit too much for him, so he pulls back and returns home to his mum in Jerusalem. 
Paul is not that excited about Mark, the guy who wrote this, and he doesn't, you know, he, he thought he was a bit of a wimp, couldn't handle the persecution. And so when it came time for the second missionary journey to happen, Barnabas said, I'm going to take, let's bring Mark along and Paul and Silas. Or, and Paul said, no, I'm not taking that guy. He, he, he wimped out on us last time. He turned around and, and ran back home when, and he, when it got a bit difficult. We're not taking him. And Paul and Barnabas, you'll see in Acts, had this, it says a sharp disagreement. And so Paul, Paul took Silas and they headed off in one direction to share Jesus. And Barnabas and, and Mark went another direction to share Jesus. And so we see this this. Um, dysfunction between Paul and Mark, the guy who wrote this, they didn't agree. Well, Paul didn't like Mark for what he had done. But you know what we see later on in Acts? It says Paul, a decade and a half later, had obviously restored the relationship between himself and Mark. Because it says, Paul, hey, make sure Mark comes along because he's very good. I want him involved in the ministry. And so there'd been a restoration. Now, I say all this uh, to say this, is that I think Mark knew about opportunities and second chances. Mark got another chance to fulfill what the Lord maybe had called him to do. And Paul gave him that opportunity and chance as well and reinstated him in a relationship with himself. And they restored their relationship and things went on and the gospel was preached throughout the world. But for a time there, Mark was an outcast in Paul's eyes because of what he'd done. So we see this unfolding. And the interesting thing is that this guy who received another chance to be of use in ministry was the very guy that went on to write Mark's gospel. Interesting, isn't it? In actual fact, did you know Mark wrote the first Bible of the New Testament? The first book, I should say, of the New Testament? Matthew was after Mark, but for some reason they chose to put Mark before, Matthew before Mark. In actual fact, Matthew and Luke, when they wanted to write their gospel accounts, actually read Mark's and got part of Mark's and wrote it into their own. Did you know that? That's why we see stories duplicated sometimes, because Matthew and Luke borrowed from Mark. And it wasn't wrong to do that. It wasn't plagiarism. It was just a reality. They could see that Mark was, they remembered the stories too, but they wanted to see what Mark said. And so we see this guy who was an outcast now becomes an incredible guy for the Lord's work. And his book he wrote is put in the second book of the New Testament. I think that's a wonderful turnaround. And I say all that to say this, because here is this lady. She has another chance to know health and wholeness in her body. She's the lady who's come back for another go because she'd been so many times to so many doctors and nothing had healed her. And finally, she gets an opportunity for Jesus and her health and wholeness are restored to her body. And I think Mark could appreciate that because for 15 years, Paul didn't, well, about that time, Paul didn't like him. And he's restored in relationship and he has another opportunity. And so I think that's why Mark gives such a, a detailed account in 10 verses. And what Mark says in, um, he, what Mark says in verse 26, uh, he informs us that the woman had tried many physicians, but none could help her. The woman had a hemorrhage and was apparently incurable and was slowly destroying her. We can only imagine the pain and the emotion of emotional pressure that sapped her strength day after day. Twelve years this woman went through, the struggle she went through. It's amazing she lasted that long. Would you agree? Twelve years. She had incredible in, in, you know, uh, uh, resilience and endurance. 
she added August our other added burdens. And the other added burdens was she was ceremonially unclean according to Leviticus in the Old Testament principles of law because she was bleeding. And so she, that actually caused her to be religiously excluded. In other words, she couldn't worship in the temple. She couldn't come on a Sunday to church because she was unclean. So she was never able to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Not only that, socially she was an outcast because she wasn't allowed in public as an unclean woman. And yet she probably at times used to go out when no one was around the streets to do what she, maybe to buy um, food or whatever. And so she had a lot of things she was carrying. Imagine the despair and discouragement she felt and her hopes had been shattered time and time again. And you know what? Even add to that, as we look at this passage, you can see this woman's faith was not perfect. She actually thought that Jesus' clothes had healing virtue. And she wasn't totally wrong. It's just it wasn't Jesus' clothes that had wholeness. It was the person in his clothes that had the power. It was Jesus himself, wasn't it? But for her simple thoughts, it was a, that's what all she could kind of grasp as well. If I could just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. Only, if only I could touch his garment. And so her faith was, a, was pretty immature in a sense. In actual fact, she was looking more for the healing than the healer. You know, and so her faith was, it was in infant stages. She even, even her approach to Jesus was a bit unconventional because she could have just asked, she could have just said to Jesus, talk to him and get him to turn around and heal her. But no, she just wanted to make it secretive and she crept up on him and touched the hem of his garment. And she said, if only, if only. And you know what? In her, in her lack, you know, her small element of faith and her immaturity, Jesus healed her. Jesus healed her. Weak as it was, weak as she was. And Jesus looked at her and says, you know what? Your faith has made you well. And I love that statement because I don't think her faith was great. But I want to just say to you this morning, church, one of the things I've discovered about an incredible God, it's not the strength of our faith that saves us, but the faith that is strong in our Savior that saves us. Our faith in a strong Savior, I should say. So our faith mightn't be very big this morning, or we think we've just got very little belief or faith, but it's not. if if you just have that, even as a mustard seed, Jesus says in some passages of the Bible, but if you have faith as a mustard seed, but it's faith in a strong Savior. It's faith in an amazing God. It's just simply putting the little you have into the hands of an incredible Heavenly Father and watching what He could do. Because this lady, the truth is, in one word we see that she expresses the elements of faith she has. And she says, if only I could just touch his gum. If only the onlys of life. If I just touch his clothes, I should be made well. Only is a word that is used over and over again. And in this passage, we see that it reflects her faith. She says in verse 28, if only I may touch his clothes. If only. If only I could just do that. Maybe there's a lot of other things people should do. You know, sometimes we think, well, if we, if we pray hard enough and we work up our faith and get it big enough, then God will hear us. You know what? I'm, I'm, I am pleased that God listens to the, just the, that sometimes we just come to him with only a little bit, but he hears that more than anything. The onlys of life. That one statement. I want to tell you, only is all, if only is all your God, only will do. Only is all you need. 
only, if only is all you got. See, this woman had the one idea. If only I could touch his garment. I don't want a big scene, just one touch. And she heard that many had pressed around Jesus two chapters earlier in Mark chapter 3. And it says literally that, that many had pressed around Jesus. And it doesn't say they were healed by touch, but they said as they pressed around, many were healed. And so she thought, well, I've heard of what Jesus could do, so maybe I don't need to make a big show. I'll just creep up and just touch his garment, and that'll be enough. And she got to do it, and it worked. And, if it, and she, didn't, she wasn't looking for anything else. It was only just a touch, and I'll be healed. It was a simple thought, but within it there was these words, if only reflected her faith, as small as it was. And all she could do is she could just do this one thing and it worked and, and she was healed. What an incredible joy she would have experienced. You know, um, if only. And sometimes we go through life and all we have is the onlys. I've only got this much faith. I've only got this much finance. I've only got this situation. That, that I've only got this amount of belief. I've only got um, this type of resource. I've only got a little bit of gifting. But you know what? I've discovered that if we put that only in the hands of an incredible God, man, he can take it and he can do a miracle. He can do his work in hearts and lives of people. And it's just the onlys of life that often God responds to more than anything else. <laughs> I've only, maybe this morning you're only hanging on, just hanging on. Or God says, bring it to me and I'll watch what I can do. There's a number of stories in the Bible that use this word only in the same context of faith. There's, um, um, there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy called Gideon. And in Judges chapter 6 and 7, it describes this story and what was happening in Israel was a nation that had kind of turned its back on God. And, and, and the story goes is that because they turned their back on God, after a while, you know, it'll, all the enemies started to attack them and, uh, and raid and take their livestock and, and take their crops at harvest. And they got sick of it and they came up with a bright idea, let's turn back to God. That's always a good idea, isn't it? And so they turned back to God. The nation of Israel turned back to God and cried out to God. God heard their cry and God came down and talked to a man called Gideon. And said, hey, you Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon looked around and said, you talking to me? Because I'm the least in the, our clan is the least in Israel. And, and, and I'm the least in the, my tribe. And I'm the least in my family. I'm not the man you need to talk to if you're talking about mighty man of valor. No, he says, I'm talking to you because I want you to go and gather some men. Because we're going to uh, fight back and get rid of these Midianites and flush them out of the land of Israel. And Gideon said, you've got to be joking. He says, no, I'm not joking. You're the man. Well, what am I to do? He says, well, see how many, make a, put, out a, a, put out a call for men to come in, with arms and see how many you get. So Gideon did. He got 32,000 men. And Gideon says, God, it's only 32,000 against literally 100,000 or so Midianites. What can we do with 32,000? And God said, you're right. Let's get rid of some. <laughs> and so Gideon said, no, you can't take them off me. He says, no, look, just ask the guys, anybody fearful? And if the ones who are fearful, tell them to move on. Gideon must have been thinking, I hope there's only five. 22,000 of the 32,000 said, yeah, we're fearful. They went home. I'm left with 10. Gideon's looking at God and saying, God, you know, this is now ridiculous. The odds are against me. 10,000 against 100,000 Midianites? <laughs> God, that's not a good... That, in my understanding, that doesn't work. God said, you know what? I want to get rid of some more. You know why? Because I don't want Israel to be, think that they're, they're going to actually win this battle. I want them to see that God can win the battle with them. 
I don't want them to become puffed up and self, full of self. And I want them to see that God can do an amazing work. And so we're going to color it a little bit more. He says, how are we going to do that, God? 10,000, please leave me with at least 10,000. He says, no, we're not. He says, I want you to go down to the river. This is what we'll do. Those men who kneel at the river and lap like a dog, and they're the ones that we're going to ask to go home. But those who draw water with their hand and bring it to their face and lips, they're the ones you're going to keep. Gideon must have been thinking, I hope it's only five who lap like a dog. 9,700 lap like a dog, and God said, send them home. Gideon's like, yeah, now, God, that's ridiculous. I've only got 300 left. How am I supposed to fight a battle against 100,000 Midianites with 300? He says, now the odds are really good. And in Gideon's eyes, the odds weren't good at all. And we look at the scripture, and this is where we take it up in Judges chapter 6, uh, chapter 7. It says, only, how many? Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I'll rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Only 300. Only 300. And here's the point. Only is all you need. Only is all you need. And sometimes in life, I've discovered, you know, as you look at this story, you think, why, why in the world did God do that and tell me not to do that? Because I've discovered we can think that more is better. But the truth is with God, it isn't how much you have got or, ha- or haven't got. It's, your, it's how much what you've got are you willing to give what you've got, the only that you've got. Because God can take whether it's more or less and he can use it and say, that's enough to do an incredible if we give it to him and put it in the hands of an incredible God. See, that makes all the difference. Because you're only placed in God's hands can do more than a strength of 32,000 men without the only. Only. I've only got this amount. I've only got this. I've discovered that God loves it when the odds are stacked against us because then he can receive the glory and not us. And then we don't get puffed up with what we did, but we get excited about what he can do. Come on. If there's one thing I've discovered God wants out of my life is me. Because I can get really, wow, look what I did. Look what I've achieved. Look, look what people are saying about me. That, that was the problem between Saul and David. You know, one got carried away with his own importance. David didn't and went on to become a great king. You know, we've got to realize something here that, that God loves it when he, the odds are stacked against us because then he has an opportunity to speak and to work if we would hand it over to him because he doesn't work by odds. He works by his, what he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't work by what he sees. He, he works by what he knows is true and God can do amazing things. See, we're limited to our sight. Oh, this doesn't look good. This looks like it's all against us. But God doesn't see that. He just sees the victory that he wants to bring and he can do it. It's just that we sometimes are enclosed in a shroud of, oh, this doesn't look good. You know, as I was preparing this, God wanted to say to someone this morning, you're in a situation, maybe more than one person, you feel like the odds are so stacked against you that the victory that you want to see or the, 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 the situation turn around for good will never come. I want to tell you it's a lie of the devil and the odds have got nothing to do with your victory this morning. God, is, God just says, take your only and bring it to me. Remember 1991? In the story, um, 75% of it's snow, but I'll give you the 
30-second version. 1991, my wife's pregnant for the first time, four months pregnant, and some of us know the story. The doctors tell us that a baby in her womb is either has got an incredible deformity, possibly through Down syndrome, spina bifida, and something else that I've forgotten. And, uh, and uh, the words that came out of the, um, the uh, doctor's mouth as we sat there stunned, he said, uh, you can abort this baby quite legally, it's fine. We said, um, thank you for all that information, we'll just go home. So we went home, we cried because of the heartache of this first child and what the possibility would be. And then we cried out to God. And you know what? All we had, the only thing we had was a prayer of trust. That's all we had. We didn't go back to that doctor. We said that this baby is, this is our baby, whatever the situation may be. Even if the baby is what the doctor says, we'll have this baby, thank you. And so we continued on in that frame. And all, only, the only thing we had to stand on, because we didn't want to particularly talk to anybody else about it at the time, and we didn't, not even our family. Um, but all we had was that, hey, God... We could trust you. We only had the words of his word in Romans where it said, all things can work together for good to those who love God according to Jesus Christ. And we said, well, God will stand on that. Thank you. We'll take that. We only got a verse, but that'll do. And we threw it back into God's hands and said, God, your word says. It doesn't say all things that work together for good will be good. It just says all things can work together will eventually be good. And we said, God, you can work out good. And sometimes all you've got is just a bit of trust. The odds are stacked against you. You, you haven't got a, a assured future. We didn't know. We didn't have God audibly speak to us in that period. We didn't have even the inner voice telling us, this is, it's all going to turn out. We just trusted his word. And it built this incredible faith and trust in our God, even before our child was born. Our child was born on the 1st of May, 1991. She was beautiful and she was pretty much perfect as far as we were concerned. No signs of any ailment or, or deformity in any way, shape or form. Would we have still accepted it if she was? Absolutely. Would we still trust in our God? We probably would have been shaken a bit and we would have had to, you know, we probably would have said, God, why? And we would have cried some more, but in the end we would have said, God, we trust you. We have to. The odds are stacked. You know what the doctor said? Normal women, there's a one in three and a half thousand chance of having um, some kind of Thing like Down syndrome or spina bifida, one in three thousand, one in three and a half thousand. And he looked at us. I remember that as he looked across the table, he said this. I still remember these words. He says, "Your chances are one in seventy. I thought that's not good. The odds are against us. But God doesn't look at odds. He says, "Just bring your only and present it to me." And someone here today needs to know that the odds you think are against you, they're not. Or God stands behind you as you bring it. But you know what? We fail to bring it. We fail to give it. We fail to present it to God. We, we just kind of think, oh, it'll be okay. No, stop it. Stop living in your own strength. Stop living in your own, well, it'll be okay. No, start to trust our God. Have you ever presented it before him, your petitions? And God just says, come on, trust me. Bring your only. Bring your only. See, God isn't looking for amazing people. He's looking for those who will surrender their life to an amazing God. You can't afford to wait till you have more of what you got because opportunities are easily lost while waiting for a better day. Oh, I'll just wait till I've got enough of this. I'll just wait till I've sorted this out. I'll just wait till things get better. I'll just wait till the kids grow up. Whatever it is, don't wait for tomorrow. Today is the day. Present it today. Don't wait because there won't be a tomorrow or a better day. It'll always be the day is the best day you've got, the opportunity today to say, Father, I bring my only today. Yeah. 
Do you know there's a mistake in the Bible? Not as in literal mistake or anything. The Bible isn't mistaken, but there was, there was a person who made a really big mistake. His name was Goliath. He was a giant of the land, stood some nine feet tall, and for many, many days he called out to the Israelites on the other side of the valley. He said, come and fight me. Where is a person to fight me? He taunted them for many, many days. And nobody wanted to step out of Israel's camp and fight this, this gorilla. No one. And yet a young boy came along called David who was just delivering a lunch, heard Goliath's taunts and said, I'll give, the, I'll give him a go. I'll have a go at him. You know why David said that and no one else was willing? Because David knew that the odds were actually stacked for him because he had heaven behind him. So, you know, normally speaking, naturally speaking, a little a fella probably just about this tall against a nine-foot giant, a fella that all he could, he didn't know how to use a sword or a shield, all he could do was have a slingshot against a man who'd been trained from his youth to be a killer. I mean, the odds are against him, but David said, no, they're not. They're for me because I've got God be with me. I'll take my only, my only, my, my confidence. I've only got a little bit of confidence in my, it's in my God. And David walked out. Uh, and the last thing that entered that Goliath's head was a rock. And that was the end of it. And you know what they say. Everybody said he's too big to hit. And David said he's too big not to miss. <laughs> and, it's, and, and, and you know, the odds seem good. And you know, that he made the incredible mistake. This is what it looks like. Um, but this is what Goliath said. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he belittled him because he was only, what? A youth. In other words, Goliath's thinking, My, oh, the odds are for me. He's only a youth. Be careful. Be careful. You don't underestimate your onlys. Tanned, complexion, and good looking. A bit like some of you. Goliath said, you're only a boy. You're young. You're, only, you're inexperienced. You know, today, you might say, well, who am I? I'm only a mother. I'm only a father. I'm only a retired person. I'm only a youth. I'm only a young person. But I want to tell you this morning, you're a candidate for God to do something incredible as you bring your onlys to him. I've got no experience in this. It's got nothing to do with what God can do in you. I haven't got any formal Bible training. It's nothing to do with what God can do and use you for. I haven't got any gifting or ability. My man, take what you have and let God. Why don't you just say, well, God, I'll, take, I'll use me. Anyway, well, what I've got. Look at what you are good at. Some of you are incredible, incredibly good at just loving other people. Why not do that? Because that's the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing that we've got to be careful is we don't use our only as an excuse sometimes. Don't use your only, because often we hear it in that context. I've only got this amount. I only, I've only can do this. I'm only this good. Oh, you know, there's an excuse we can use in that word. And you know, this woman could have used a number of excuses to convince herself, herself to stay away from Jesus that day. She could have said, "Well, I'm not important enough to ask Jesus for help," or, "I'm you know, Jarius, because either side of this incident with this woman who had the issue of blood, there was a Jesus was at the start of these verses. He was going to Jarius's house to heal her daughter, his daughter." Jarius' daughter. Jarius was a synagogue leader. What a contrast. 
the upper echelon of authority in the community compared to this woman who was at the bottom of the ladder. And yet Jesus loved them both. Isn't that our Jesus? And so, you know, she could have thought, well, I'm not like Jarius, I'm not a synagogue leader, I'm a nobody. But she didn't let that excuse stop her. She didn't allow the excuse so Jesus wouldn't be bothered with me. Of course he would be. She didn't allow these things. Um, she didn't allow the, 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 the stigma of being unclean in, in, in her society. She didn't allow the stigma of, and the issue. She didn't allow all those, you know, all the money she'd spent in the past. She says, oh, well, I've, I've done, went to physicians and nothing's happened and probably nothing's going to happen again. No, she can imagine time and time again for 12 years she went to doctors and can imagine that, that she had to get over that to go to Jesus. Because how many times have you, you got up off the floor and went again and nothing's happened and you're back down on the floor again and you get up and you go down. I want to tell you, maybe you haven't given your only to an incredible, amazing God. And as you continue to give your only, only what you've got, I've only got this amount of help. I've only got this amount of strength. I've only got this amount of prayer. But as you present it, God can say, I can do something with that. She didn't allow the excuses of life or what happened she didn't allow the arguments to rise up, but she came with her simple faith to Jesus. She didn't say, I've only got so much. She said, I, if only I could just touch his garment. So let's not be, let, let, your, let not your only be a refuge to hide our responsibility. Don't let your only be the reason we give no effort. Come on. Don't let it be an excuse. Only. No, say, I can take, God can take that. I, uh, I love to read, and there was a great story about some memoirs. In other words, this man called Captain, Captain um, Eddie Rickenback. He was an American Air Force pilot, and he wrote about his stories in the Second World War about his life. And he had an incredible thing happen to him because in 1942, which was right in the middle of the Second World War, it finished in 1945, and he was flying a, a flying fortress, an American flying fortress, a big carrier plane across the Pacific, uh, South Pacific towards Papua New Guinea. General MacArthur was there, and he, and he had some information that he needed to pass on to General MacArthur and some supplies to the Papua New Guinean people. And so he was doing his job, and as he was flying across, he lost contact with their base. He lost radio contact, and he couldn't find it again. Him and his officers, they desperately flew around trying to find radio contact. In the, couldn't see land. They were just out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And eventually their fuel supply ran down, and they had to ditch the plane in, this, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No land in sight. They all jumped out of the plane into a raft. Eight days they spent in that raft before before their food run out. Eight days. A whole bunch of them, all these guys in this raft. On the evening, it says, of the eighth day, they write, um, Captain Eddie wrote in his, in his diary, um, Officer William Carey um, read a scripture from the Bible. We um, sang a hymn, and then we asked God for deliverance. And one by one, they just finally fell asleep. They kind of dozed off to sleep in the evening. And it says Captain um, Eddie was the last and he pulled his hat down over his eyes and laid back on the raft and fell asleep. Half an hour later, he woke with a little bit of a start as something landed on his head. He lifted. He didn't move too quickly. He just lifted the hat to see all the other men in the raft staring at him and what was on his head. It was a seagull. 
if they could catch the seagull, they could have some kind of sustenance. They caught that seagull. They divided the flesh amongst each person. They ate the flesh of the seagull. They took the intestines, put it on a hook and threw the line over the edge. They caught a fish. That fish was divided amongst the guys the next day. They took the intestine of the fish and then they threw it over the, on a hook. They caught another fish the following day. 30 days later. Every day they caught a fish. Every day they would together say, it was only a seagull. Only a seagull. 30 days later they were rescued. Eddie now, uh, he, he went, uh, left the army, of course, and he started to work in Florida on the east coast of America. He retired on the east coast of America. And now as an old man, shuffling along a pier where, near where he lives, he walks out to the end of the pier every Friday afternoon with a bucket of prawns. He stands on the end of the pier and he throws a prawn and he says, this is for the seagull that gave his life so that I would live. And he feeds the... Everybody knew... It was Captain Eddie, aged and grey, but just so thankful. When he died in 1976, at his funeral, everybody knew the catch cry of Eddie, Captain Eddie, and his catch cry was, it was only a seagull. You know, that story, I want to emphasise the reality that it's sometimes we think, I've only got this, I've only got so much, but I am thankful God takes the onlys. And he establishes something incredibly good in and through our lives. If only we'd present it to him. Some of us are disheartened this morning because we've been praying and believing for things. Well, why don't again we just get up and say, oh, it's only, I've only got this, but I give it to you again today, God. I trust you again today. I want to just finish with this, this the end of the story. Do you know how the end of this story goes? Because... When Jesus found out that this woman had been healed, he got her to share her story publicly. She didn't want to be in public. She wanted to be secret, but he got her to share her story publicly. And you remember what she, she said, you know, Jesus said to her, you know, who, who, who's touched my garment? And he turned around and, and in fear and trembling, it says in Scripture, she came to Jesus and she told him the whole truth of what had been what had happened in her life. She shared her testimony. And I want to tell you, why did Jesus get this very private woman wanted to share publicly about what had just happened in her body? Because Jairus was standing there with Jesus and needed to hear someone tell him that God can heal and he could, Jesus could heal. Because not only was his daughter on her deathbed, but now someone at that very moment came from Jairus' house and said, your daughter has died. Don't worry about Jesus. Don't bother the teacher anymore, the scripture says. And Jesus, hearing what was said, said this and Jesus not that one as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken about Jairus's daughter he said to the ruler of the synagogue do not be afraid but what come on come on what only believe Jesus used the same words that the woman with the issue of blood had used when she says if only I could touch his garment Jesus said, Jairus, all you need is to just only believe. Let me do the rest. Just only believe that your daughter will be rise from the dead. And it happened exactly like that. Today we could be saying, I only have so much patience left. Today we can be saying, I only have so much hope left. Today I can only have so much finance. Today I have only so much little faith. 
today I only have so much opportunity. Today I have only so much help. I only have so much belief. I want to tell you, only is all that you need. Because our God doesn't work according to the odds. He works despite them and says, only is the biggest odd that you need. It's a sure bet, and I'm not a betting man, but I use that terminology in the context of what I'm saying. God is our, I want you to know that God is our redeemer. He's our everything that we need. And you say, oh, yeah, that's good. But, you know, sometimes it's so easily we come to God, we present it, and then we kind of walk away. No, do not give up. Do not give up making your requests known to God. Do not give up presenting those things because God comes through, just not in your time frame. Not in your time frame. Because all things still do work together for good to those who love God. Is that right? If we're going to believe it, not all things are good, but all things can work together for good. If we would continue to present them to our Heavenly Father diligently. I tell you, He's the God of the onlys. Can we stand this morning as we close? The God of the only. Only believe. And as Jerry has only believed. As the woman said, only touch his garment. As Captain Eddie Rickenback said, it was only a seagull, but it kept us alive. It was only, he was only a little, it was only a boy, but he literally, single-handedly brought Israel out of through that battle and, that, and won the victory. He was only, only this. Can we close our eyes for a moment this morning? If you're here this morning and say, yeah, I've got an only and I need to only trust my God in it. I've got, I feel like there's no answers. Could you just raise your hand this morning? Maybe for some of us, our jobs and saying, what is the future there? A number of us across the auditorium. You know what I love to do? I just love to believe. I just want to pray with you. I just want to pray with you today. And, we, and as we sing this song in a moment, I just love you to come and stand and say, present that to God this morning and say, here it is, God. I want you to step out of that, you know, and say, here, Father, by faith, I just present it to you only. Only. Only, Father, take it. Only I've got this much faith. I've only got this much belief. I'm just a bit worn down. I'm just feeling so impatient. I'm feeling frustrated. Feeling, well, maybe none of those things, your, your testament, that's good. But if you want to, today, you might be the same. Father, I just present what I got to you. I'd love to just, you come this morning and pray and stand and say, Father, here it is. Here it is, Father. Here I am. Let's give him all the praise because it's not about us this morning it's about him in us that makes all the difference come on let's just sing this song this morning and if you desire just to be stand in prayer with us if you desire for us to do that I'd love to just do that this morning believing you know as I was preparing I just want to encourage people and I'm very aware that people are just at the moment looking for work 
And um, I just want to encourage maybe one person this morning in regards to work. Lord, we just want you to say, just don't look at the field that you're in, but if you would just even look at a little bit wider of what you want to do and to see what you can do in the way of work, maybe there'd be a job for you then. And as you would do that, you'll find that God will just undertake to, to bring about what you need. And you know, sometimes we've got to give up sometimes our thought about how much money I want and just trust God and take that job that doesn't pay as much. And I'm not saying you have to do this. I don't, I'm not particularly thinking of anybody, but I just felt impressed to encourage someone, uh, look a little bit wider, don't be concerned. God is, can be your provider if you really want to trust him. Come on, let's just um, sing this song this morning. Worship just for a moment, and i just love to pray. Come on, you come this morning and stand before God and just declare, God, I present my only today. Thanks, Kate. Come on. By faith, you present it to him.